brought to you by Ligaris Roasters, the coffee alchemists behind Gut Check Espresso. www.ligarisroasters.com Coming to you live, and by that we mean recorded in advance, from the Nakatomi Cigar Room in the capital city of a boxing glove-shaped state, it's the Gut Check Podcast with your hosts, Ted Cluck and Zach Bartles. Hey, welcome to the Gut Check Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined as always in studio live by my good friend and my partner in Radio One, Zachary Bartles. And Zach, uh, we are in the Nakatomi smoking room. We are deep into the summer of Gut Check. Uh, we've been hard at work doing some things that we're going to talk about on a later episode. Uh, but we've got our ladies in the studio. We've got our lovely wives in the studio. We've got and the official Gut Check Chihuahua outside making noise. We've got noise. the official Gut Check Chihuahua right on cue. The Chihuahua hasn't said a thing all afternoon, and then uh, the moment we start recording, the Chihuahua goes live Don't as mind well. Me. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not minding where your hand is, and what your hand is is dangerously close to at the moment. But uh, everything. Uh, there we go. Is everything as it should be down down there? In another inch out. Okay. You were touching me down there. Remember what that's from? Uh, that sounds like Saul Rosenberg. It was does. that a dental complaint? No, it was from uh, it was from Goodwill Hunting. Remember the section? Oh, right, uh, Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, which is a movie we're going to talk about in our next episode. But Zach, I'm really excited because as you and I get older, as we age in this business, and we look back, baby, and we think about all that we've accomplished in radio, all the years, all the decadence, all the autographs we've signed, um, all the good times we've had, we begin to think succession, don't we? It isn't a natural for. Um, for men like ourselves who have accomplished a lot to begin to think of, what's the next generation going to do? You know, I read Ecclesiastes, mm-hmm. and it talks about how hard you work to build your empire, mm-hmm. and then you you, can't, you hand it on to the next generation, and, and they can squander it. They could. This is something that keeps me up at night. Uh-huh. Um, and so I think it's good to get it out there, mm-hmm. to bat it around a little bit, yep. and maybe to bring to the next out. generation in on the discussion. So when you think about this company and all that we've worked to build, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, all that we've achieved and accomplished, uh, what I think naturally is, I would like to hand the keys to this thing over to our sons one day. And in that vein, uh, we have a very special guest in the studio today. We have Tristan Cluck, age 15, my son, and he's, uh, he's in studio. He's going to be with us for the next couple of episodes to uh, talk about some movies. Uh, Tristan, say hello to the audience. Hello, audience. There he is. There's Big T. Tristan's a little nervous, so everyone be nice as you listen. It's natural, though. It's natural. So uh, I'm in a a season in life, Zach, where I'm thinking succession in my movie-watching life as well. And uh, I'm beginning to share and pass down uh, classic movies in our family that we love and that we've enjoyed for years. And I'm starting to show those to Big T because he's old enough now. And one of the actors that we've really enjoyed together is John Cusack. Um, Do you have a favorite John Cusack picture, baby? Uh, I would say my favorite John Cusack is tied. Okay. Maybe three ways tied. Okay. Let's uh, say let's anything. Talk about it. Classic. Uh, High Fidelity. Yep. That's in my top five movies. Yep. Get it? Mm-hmm. And of course, Gross Point Blank. Gross Point Blank is the picture that uh, that I want to spend a little bit of time on this afternoon because it's one that uh, that Big T and I have watched just recently and. Um, Big T, what did you think the first time you saw Gross Point Blank? Because it's kind of, it's one of those movies that a little bit defies genre in that it's got comedic elements. Um, you get Dan Aykroyd, who's a favorite actor of ours from Blues Brothers. 
a um, little more mature, a little more uh, you know filled out, a little yeah. thicker, a little, little more pear shaped, a little more pear shaped, but a little more uh, dangerous, a little more dangerous. And then you've got John Cusack, who's grown up uh, considerably from the Say Anything years. So uh, talk about what you thought, what you felt the first time you watched Gross Point Blank. I um I actually thought it was interesting how it it did defy genre. There wasn't a whole lot of like, well, it's really a comedy, it's really a drama, yeah. it's really an action movie. It was just a lot of everything, and I really liked that. Yeah, absolutely. So Cusack is one of those rare actors, Zach, who I think can do both things. Like he he could be funny, he can be in funny movies, he can be in you know kind of smart, thoughtful, arty movies. Um, what was your favorite like comedic moment from Gross Point Blank? Um. That's a tough one. I think the final sort of like shootout scene where he uh-huh. he asks her to marry her. Yeah, that one's yeah. that one's funny. Dude, so smart, so dark and bloody on one level. That scene was, you know, just a lot of gunfighting, a lot of shooting. Um, and then he asks her. I think he asked for her hand in marriage when they're like, there. She and her dad are hiding in the bathtub in the bathroom, and John Cusack comes in. He's all shot up. I think he's bleeding from like a gunshot wound in the arm. And uh, like he sticks his head in briefly and, and asks for her hand in marriage. Is that how it goes down? And then the dad says, you got my blessing. Yeah, exactly. Um, so let me ask you this, just from like a, a film theory standpoint. Uh, what, what's funny about that scene to you? Because you take some things that are um, seemingly dark and, and violent, but you contrast them with comedic elements. Is it the contrast that makes it funny? It is. Yeah, so the fact that like he's trying to have a romantic moment as he's like shooting up a bunch of guys. He's he's doing something very unromantic, but it's contrasted something very romantic. I don't know what's yeah. what's unromantic about putting your life on the line to save your to your save lady, the lady and her that family. you love. It's just such a weird way because he's the hitman. Spoiler alert! Yeah, I mean you've had literally twenty some years to watch this movie. Mm-hmm. He's the hitman. He finds out moments before mm-hmm. the job that he was given to do in the Detroit area was to whack out his former girlfriend's dad, who hates yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. And then exactly. he goes and saves his life. Yeah, amazing. And so, yeah, you do have this tension between this, like, I, I'm supposed to be here to kill you. Yeah. But now I'm, I'm wondering if I might be given your daughter's hand in marriage. Yeah. Dude, it occurs to me, and tell me if you've ever thought about the movie this way, that it would have totally worked as a serious movie. Like, if they cut out all the comedic stuff and the storyline had been what you just described, you're a hitman, you're sent to kill... Um, your high school, you know, girlfriend's father, um, and instead you save his life. Like that would have totally worked, especially as a, in the nineties, dude. A regular action movie, even like an earnest drama with with action uh-huh. elements. Thing is, it, yeah. we wouldn't be talking about it all these years later. Yeah, if it didn't have Piven in there, ten yeah. years, man. If it didn't have all that Bing Bang popcorn, I mean, yeah. That, yeah. you got to have all that to make it like noteworthy. Baby, what's your favorite funny part? And then I want to talk about Mini Driver. I want to talk Mini Driver stuff as it but pertains to this movie. Perhaps my favorite part, yeah. for comedic purposes, mm-hmm. would be two, two of them. Yeah. One, when uh, he grabs the clerk, drags him running yeah. out of the, the Mini Mart, yes. which is standing where his childhood home was. Yeah. It explodes in this stupid movie trope where when the microwave beeps and stops going, yeah. that somehow triggers the bomb within. Yeah, yeah. And the kid dusts himself off, stands up, and starts complaining that he'll have to find another job. Yeah, that's great. And then also the one where the, the, the jock that hates Martin Blank. Yeah, yeah. And he's drunk. Yeah. And he wants to start a fight with him. Yeah. And, and, uh, and Blank talks him down. And he goes, these are my words. And he pulls out this rumpled piece of paper. Yes. And reads that poem to him. 
Dude, that strikes me. That scene strikes me as like Cusack doing like the perfect way to defuse a fight, right? Because he says to the guy something along the lines of, there is no us. Yeah. There is no you and me, right? We do not exist. We do not exist. And at that point, the guy pulls out the poetry and has this like kind of touching, heartfelt moment where, uh, where Cusack somewhat patronizingly listens to his poem, but the guy's so like wrecked. He doesn't he, 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 he has no idea that he's being patronized. But For, um, a, for a minute. Or something yeah, like that. There's like yeah, a repeated that's like line, line at the end. For, for a, a little while. For a little while. For a little while. Yeah, for a little while. Oh, so more. good, dude. Dude, things I love about that movie and about that scene in particular, the reunion motif, uh, the public high school from the 90s, there was just a lot there for me that was nostalgic about it. You know what I mean? And I feel like that was a 90s thing. The reunion. Uh-huh. Uh, Romeo and Michelle. Yeah. There's a number of more where you're coming back home, you're older. As Joan Cusack says, it's as if everyone had swelled. Yes, that's right. Ten years. We're to believe these people are not quite 30. I'm pretty sure all they the were actors all involved were like, 40. Yeah. 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 But, but that notion, and of course, I just had my 20th... Uh, high school anniversary. I didn't go to a reunion. Yeah. Uh, Aaron's going to her reunion. Yeah. Momentarily. She's yeah. like got the shoes on for it now. Yeah. And uh, it's a weird time in life. It is a very weird time. See, that's in life. something that I don't think Tristan could connect with because he's yeah. in high school now. There's this sense of like comparison in which you're trying to measure yourself professionally and in life compared to your classmates and what have they done and what have I done. Um, like now, if I could go back as a media mogul, as the as the president, co-president of Gut Check Press, I mean, I feel like I would walk a little taller. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, but it, it, does that even register for you? Like the feeling that one day you're going to be 10 years, you know, in your case, like 13 years down the road, maybe going to a 10-year reunion, trying to, to catch up with old classmates and kind of measuring yourself uh, in comparison to like what they've done, what you've done. Does that, does that, did that motif in the movie like even sort of um, register on your radar? Uh, not especially, because I haven't graduated high school. And most of the people that like I would see from a long time ago live in a different state. So it's like, there's not a whole lot of comparing to do yet. Yeah, for sure. There's not comparing to do, because it's all in front of you, right? I mean, it's all it's all wide open for you. Can well, we- it's not entirely wide open. I think we've, we've really, and I'm not as father you are, but I feel yeah. we have really narrowed... Yeah, the the possibilities down to um, inheriting this company and running it. Yeah, I mean we haven't. It's not wide open. Decided anyway. yeah. his vocation yeah. for him. Yes. you know. So yes. in that way. Um, uh, now, are you going to hand over the shoe, the keys to the shoe empire, the coffee empire, yeah. the whole nine yards to this guy? Once I get this church curmudgeon coffee situation worked out, I'm going to hand over the keys to that empire <laughs> for sure. Uh, it's a little foreshadowing to a later episode. <laughs> There's no, there was no confusion or miscounting of the number of episodes in involved. the complicated chronology of the Gut Check <laughs> podcast. There's, there may be a bit of foreshadowing in that statement. But uh, Zach, did you have you ever gone to a high school reunion? I have not. No, I have, and I have to tell you, like th- there were some differences, but this really rings true. Like the, yeah. the stuff that happened in Gross Point Blank was basically the stuff that happened. At my high school reunion, minus me like killing a guy with a fountain pen in a hallway and then wrapping him up in and like, putting him into a incinerator, a banner, yeah. and then shoving him into the incinerator at my school. But minus that, thanks for the pen. Thanks for the pen. Now, when here's a question: like the thing with this sort of function in a movie, yeah, is that if it's a prom or it's a reunion or whatever, yeah. it's glamorous and it's big yeah. and all this stuff. 
And I think what Gross Point Blank did that was so great is they put it in a sad little gym. Yes, that's right. And made it a sad little event. They did. They they emphasized the sadness. They made it very real, especially with that part of it. You know, they they shot for realism in those scenes, and uh, and I think it really works well. What I love is the '80s soundtrack from the beginning to the end. So strong. Part of that nostalgia, and it's like I love that you get uh, "Blister in the Sun" in there, uh -huh. which is such a it's such an iconic song. Yeah. And I feel like in the 80s, it wasn't even that popular. Yeah. Like only like your, your uh, kind of weird kids were really yeah. into Violent Femmes. And then it kind of became retroactively part of that 80s tapestry. Absolutely. Also, jog my memory. What was the song that's playing in the uh, like Quickie Mart as the kid? This is another Dude. favorite scene. As the kid's playing like uh -huh. uh, a first person shooter game. He's got headphones on. I think yeah. it's a Guns N' Roses song. Yeah, I'll with... tell you what it was. Yeah, okay. It, it, it starts with the Guns N' Roses version of Live and Let Die. That's it. Live they and go, Let Die. The so moment good. the door closes in the Quickie Mart, it switches mm -hmm. to like a Muzak version of yes, Live that's and Let right. Die. Which is a brilliant little Dude, thing. Dude, that's so brilliant. And then when the gunmen begin to shoot up the store. It goes back. It goes back to the Guns N' Roses version. The kid's got his headphones on, so he doesn't even notice that his store is being shot up because he's playing a gun video game. Right, like he, he feels like this is all He feels like this is all of part of the video yeah. game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, brilliant, brilliant little scene. I feel like Live and Let Die is the one thing that justifies like the existence of the Beatles. Yeah, I agree. I'm not a Beatles guy at all. Yeah. Oh, we should do a so whole ep on this on should. how much we both hate you the Beatles. You know what? Let's split, let's split the, uh, the next step. Uh, Goodwill Hunting and, and Hatred the of the Beatles and see if we can alienate some of our uh, listeners. Oh, I'm getting a note over here from my wife that it wasn't the Beatles and that she's right. Wings recorded it, but Paul McCartney wrote it, and we never would have heard it if not for the Beatles. Which, again, back to my original point, that's the only thing that justifies the uh, presence of the Beatles in the landscape of any Western pop culture. So you're right, baby. You were right about that. I feel like I was. Yeah. So I'm wrong? <laughs> no, you're not wrong. You're just not as right as me. Here's the dynamic in the room. Two people who are very committed to being right. Yeah. And they're married to each other. And they're married to each other. So and what it, happens when... It doesn't blow up as much as you'd think. Yeah. No, I know. I would think it would be way more combustible. What, than what happens is we both get really heated, uh -huh. and then we make out. Yeah. Well, you know what? You do what works for you. <laughs> I'm sure that's how John Cusack's characters would have handled it, too. Um, Zach, let me ask you a question vis-a-vis -vis the supposed on-screen romance between John Cusack and Minnie Driver. Uh -huh. Having seen Minnie Driver in another 90s classic movie, Goodwill Hunting... Um, do you buy her in this role, and do you buy her falling in love with John Cusack, and does, does that storyline work for you? And then, Big T, I'm going to ask you the same question. I wish it did. Uh huh. I, I, I did like... She, she was fine in it. Yeah. I don't think they had very good chemistry. Mm -hmm. I always have thought, anytime I put that movie in, and they first show her on the radio, yeah. and they first kind of reconnect for a second, my first thought is, there is one actress from that period... That would have been perfect in that role, and uh -huh. they missed the boat, and that would have been Jenna Elfman. Oh, interesting. I think she would have had the playful... Yes, She has dude. the radio voice more than Minnie Driver. She would She's have been perfect. She's infinitely cuter. Yeah. Uh, and I could see her more like kind of holding her own, and then the scene where... She tells him off. You yeah. don't get to have me. Yeah, I think I think Jenna Elfman would have owned that. Yeah, she would have crushed that. Yeah. Why did Jenna Elfman not have a longer career? I don't know. I don't know. She's much better than most people. She should have been a, a Hollywood star. She could have. She could have carried movies, in my opinion. She was in a one great kind of movie. movie. 
I know what movie Keeping you're going to say. Faith? Keeping the Faith was wonderful. Oh, man. That's like, that's the movie when you're a pastor, you watch and go, oh, yeah. Yeah. Clergy can be cool. That's right. They're glamorizing my profession for once. <laughs> Finally. It's about time. Big T, what about the romance between John Cusack and Minnie Driver? And I want you to do something for me. I want you to compare it and contrast it to the romance that Cusack had with Ioni Sky and Say Anything. Like, um, compare and contrast those two on-screen romances. As a current high school student um, today, which one of those rang truer for you? Um, I agree with Pastor Zach in that the chemistry was not good. Uh-huh. I, I don't know the actress he's referring to, so I can't say that like I feel like that would be perfect for that character. Can you yeah. think of somebody, though? Even if it's somebody who's that age now, and they'd have to go on a time machine. Yeah. Not really. I okay. mean... Did the interaction between Cusack's character in um, Say Anything with Ioni Sky as a high school romance, did that ring true for you? I felt like that one was a little more legitimate. Yeah. Dude, because he had the... I need this person. He's so earnest. Just, just yeah. frantic kind of deal. Oh, Aaron. Oh, we got a research assistant. Ah. My lovely wife, Aaron, just looked up the Wikipedia page. In gross point blank. Jenna Elfman? Jenna Elfman is in, yes, yes. Oh my gosh, Jenna Elfman is in gross point blank. As and who? that's probably why I think she should be, I see her and think, um, she's just somebody who's at the reunion, right? Hold on, I'm, um, I'm looking up, I'm doing a little search Action on Gross Point Blank. Her role is Tanya. Tanya. Is she the lady handing out the name tags? No. No, no, no. This, no, no, this is a, a blonde woman. Um, the lady handing out the name tags was great, though. She was great, way. yeah. Shoot. She's a Scientologist. Oh, that kind of ruins it, baby. I don't know. It didn't ruin Tom Cruise for me. Okay. Jenna Elfman plays Tanya. I feel like... Uh, she could have played Jenny Slater, too. Hey, Jenny Slater. Hey, Jenny Slater. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Jenny Slater. That would have been really good. Baby, uh, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, and I can ask both of you again. Let's maybe start with Big T on this one. So the Jeremy Piven character in Gross Point Blank, um, you being a high school student now, you're about to start your sophomore year. Do you feel like Piven's character is the ideal like friend sidekick figure? Was Piven the short guy who was the real estate? Piven's yeah. the short real estate guy. He was... It was interesting, like, to think about him as the same person, like, back then, because he seemed sort of mature, and from experience, like, personal experience, I know that high school students aren't super mature sometimes, and so, but yeah, I think he was, he seemed very loyal, and even though, like, everybody sort of felt against, um, blank for just, like, leaving. Yeah. There, he still sort of like believed in him and dude yeah he he forgave him immediately right for leaving i mean they had the they had the 10 years moment and then the next scene they were driving around in the car we've got a hand up over here in the studio uh this is the lovely kk my wife uh do you have a comment baby um i think you should remind tristan of what character jeremy piven played in say anything all right yes what character did jeremy piven play in say anything so Jer- piven's character was at the party, right? Yeah. He was the super drunk guy yeah. um, who runs up to John Cusack. Must you must chill. Yeah, this is Cusack yeah. yelling, you must chill at the party. Your keys are safe. You must chill. Cus- Gosh, I love that movie. I love it so much, dude. And I love that Cusack was the key master. 
Because, yep, there it is. She, Tanya, she had the neck brace on. Mm-hmm. What a waste of Elfman. Yeah, that's a waste See, of it. See, that should have been Mini Driver with the neck brace on for 10 seconds. Yeah, and they should and have let Elfman. Elfman should have been... Yeah, uh, no, I yeah. agree. I totally agree. So we're, we're recasting Gross Point Blank right now. I think Jenna Elfman should play Kate. Productive. Productive session. Kate in our movie? Too old, though. Never mind. No, but we were doing that 90s in, in the uh, smoking reader. Yeah. We're going to do a 90s cast list. So we casting people it. in the 90s as characters in our movie. Yeah, for sure. So speaking of the 90s, when did this movie come out? When did Gross Point Blank release? Do we remember? Was it late 90s? 97. So it came out in 97. It's part of like a very new but very robust 80s nostalgia movement kind of mm-hmm. industry mm-hmm. yeah yeah and part of that i think zach was casting Ackroyd opposite uh cusack in this movie it was it was kind of 80s nostalgic in that way because Ackroyd, i think had the first kind of swell of popularity in his career doing 80s kind of john hughes type comedies yeah. um then he dropped off the map for a while he matured um and he comes back as grocer in gross point blank so you got a which, grocer and you got a blank and they're in gro- and they're in uh gross point, gross blank, point blank and it gets rather confusing it does get confusing, but Grocer is uh, essentially Martin Blank's competitor in the uh, killer for hire business. So Grocer's um, objective in the movie is to try to unionize the uh, hired killer market. So he's trying to get Martin Blank to, to come aboard so that he can uh, essentially manage him. Martin Blank wants nothing of it because um, you know he went into the business so that he could work alone and be alone and kind of be a lone shooter, lone wolf. And uh, Zach, what's your favorite comedic moment between... Uh, Ackroyd and Cusack. Uh, it's the handshake when they yeah. first they first connect in uh-huh. the Detroit area, uh-huh. and they both want to keep their hands on their guns and keep their silhouette small and they're sideways to each other. Dude, it's so good. This very brief reaching out, barely, barely touching one shake, and then they're back to their guns. It's like watching two boxers circle each other. You know, you're you're each giving the other like the left shoulder, and and they're very coy and very cagey the, with each other. The other would be when they meet in the diner briefly. I love the diner, the breakfast. Ackroyd's got the uh, the paper bag over his gun. Yeah, and he like pushes someone in the way and uh-huh. backs out and starts yeah. grunting like an ape at him. Yeah, yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh man. And that's the scene in which uh, Cusack says he just wants the protein. Um, because <laughs> and, and what a weird choice, a great choice, but a weird choice. Because I mean, who, who's Dan Aykroyd usually? He's like of all of the Ghostbusters, he's the least dangerous. Yeah, right. This that's isn't right. Bill Murray. Yeah, and, and then who, he comes back around in these father figure roles, like in My Girl, where again, yeah. harmless. harmless. And then to have him be this like really slightly crazed, sadistic yeah. killer guy. Yeah, it was it was great. It was really a turn for him, and uh, I love that breakfast scene too. Um, that's where he says, uh, chatty Kathy, cut your string, um, as Martin Blank is, uh, is kind of waxing eloquent about the business. And uh, just, a, just a great moment between two really funny guys. Big T, what about you? Favorite comedic scene between these two actors? I'm going to have to go again with the final fight scene where okay. they're talking, and then he says the really funny line that I'm not going to say in the air because it's explicit. But uh, yes. uh, yeah, that, oh, that I don't really even know funny. What you mean? When they're, uh, when, when, when Cusack runs out of ammo? Yeah. Oh, and, and the song? Yeah. The song. Yeah, the song parody. I'll be coming around the mountain. mountain I'll be, which, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very yeah, yeah. funny. Very, very funny. Maxim. Well, well to, to slightly paraphrase it, it's, uh, I'll, I'll be shooting your freaking brains out. I'll be... Whacking your, your freaking, freaking mind, mind out. out. <laughs> yes, yes, okay. Dude, it's so funny. And we, we agreed, oops, we agreed earlier that that was definitely ad-libbed. Yeah, pure, that had to be ad-libbed. Ad-libbed, brilliant Ackroyd. Absolutely, absolutely. And then, yeah, you get the big shootout scene at the end. 
um, in the mansion, in the in the kind of quintessential Gross Point mansion. So Gross Point's sort of this uh, upscale Tony auto executive section of the Detroit area. Lots of money there and wealth, and uh, they they do an amazing job of of completely shooting up one of these mansions in the last uh, in the last scene. Well, and I I like the part where he runs out of ammo. And he's like, I'll give you the pistol for like, I think he said like $3,000. Yeah. And he like turns around the corner and he just smashes the television. Yeah. And then he's kind of, and then he's shaking and like twitching. And then, and then, uh, and then Cusack uses his line. Cusack says, uh, bing bang popcorn, which is, uh, Aykroyd's line throughout the movie. That's his, uh, his kind of catchphrase. Um, I I want each of you to speak to this, if you will, because I'm a huge, I'm a huge John Cusack fan. Um, even though he's had a very up and down career, he's done some real turds, um, which we've discussed off the air ad nauseum. Um, he's I had th- a cagey career, if you will. He's had a cagey career. Referencing but- Nicolas Cage, who will be in an amazing Oscar winner one year and then direct yeah. a video schlock the next. However, I'm glad you mentioned that. I would argue that Cusack has infinitely more charm and infinitely more range than Nicolas Cage. I, I love um, Cage, but you're right. I ride with John Cusack, man. I, I will defend John Cusack in almost every context. I think he can do a lot of things. So I'm going to ask both of you gentlemen, um, since you're both students of John Cusack's films now, I'll start with you, Big T. Um, what What is it about Cusack that makes him so likable on the screen in these different roles? So I'm thinking specifically of movies that we've seen him in, uh, High Fidelity, Gross Point Blank, and say anything. What makes him so charming? Try to quantify what it is about this actor. I think the word I would use is gentle. Like he's not he's not a harsh like yes, actor. Right. He's just very gentle. Like I feel like mm-hmm. all this almost every scene in say anything, I'm like, man, that guy is just he's really like gentle and he's and not vulnerable. Vulnerable. He's yeah. Even when he's kickboxing. He's yeah. he's trustworthy, isn't he? In in uh, in say anything. Now I wanna ask a question um, across the room to my lovely lady here. And I don't know if you remember this, baby. This is a little story time. But uh, when we were first meeting at Taylor University back in the 90s, and uh, I was doing like an, an early dating guy thing in that I was asking you like what your ideal guy was like, like what you were looking for in a guy. And you said to me, and I quote, just watch Say Anything, Lloyd Dobler is the ideal guy. Really? And I want to push you a little bit in asking... What was it about Lloyd Dobler's character and say anything that made you feel that way? And have I measured up in those areas? Well, first of all, yes. Yes, I've measured up. You have measured up. I would even dare say you've surpassed. Ooh, in what ways? Well, I think the thing that was so charming about John Cusack and Lloyd Dobler, really, is his single-minded pursuit of her... Stalker. (laughs) <laughs> yes, if if we didn't if she didn't like him, he's a stalker for right. sure. Oh, absolutely, one hundred percent. But she does like him, and I like the way that he's like. I, I'll just put it all on the line. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not holding back. I'm not going halfway. It's kind of like what you said, Tris. He's vulnerable in his in his pursuit of her, and that is very disarming, and it's charming. It's great. It is. He puts all the cards on the table. He holds nothing back. He's not guarding his car, his uh, his heart, not being coy, not being cagey at all. And this is very winsome in a in a movie character. Um, Zach, what, what I love about mm-hmm. that is the juxtapositioning or the contrast between Lloyd Dobler on the driveway holding the boombox above his head, blasting yep. Peter Gabriel. Which, as I describe it, even with a with a wry smirk, I get 
Goosebumps. Dude, same. That's straight chills. What an amazing scene, oh an amazing gosh. song. Yeah, yeah everything it's about so it. so perfect. Juxtaposed with... Uh, it's basically the difference between Trent in Swingers yeah. and then Ricky in in Made, where it's yeah. almost the same character, but he doesn't have that magic fairy dust. That's right. You have him outside Charlie's window yeah. in uh, High Fidelity shouting... Charlie, you blankety blank. Yeah, let's yeah, yeah. work it out. Yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. like if he had just, if he was a little more vulnerable. Yeah. And sweet in that yes, movie, that's right. he could have wooed her back. Dude, let me lay a theory on you vis-a-vis that, and I'm so glad you mentioned that because that's fascinating. I think it shows, and maybe this is a sad thing, but a real thing. I think it shows the, the progression in the human heart from the kind of hopeful, young, unguardedness that you have when you're high school aged and you're Lloyd Dobler. And you're pursuing someone, and then Cusack's character in High Fidelity is ostensibly, you know, 30 years old. He's had these failed relationships behind him. He's lived some life. He finds and, Lisa Bonet attractive. I don't know yeah, where right. that comes from. And, and maybe his heart has been hardened to the degree, you know, he's just hollowed out. He's yeah, a little more hollowed right. out. Yeah, he's a, he's a shell of a He's a shell Dobler. of his Lloyd Dobler self, yeah. and that he can't maybe find it inside of him to do the... You know, the kind of sweet, earnest, vulnerable boombox thing anymore. He'll make you a mixtape, but then he'll make someone else a mixtape. He doesn't have... He doesn't love like Lloyd Dobler. He doesn't love unguardedly and, and wholeheartedly like Lloyd Dobler. And uh, I agree. I think that's that's what's magical about Dobler. So let's, let's talk some other Cusack stuff. Let's talk about some pictures that haven't worked for John Cusack and maybe talk about why. Because I think, I think we all in the room can agree that he's a, he's a great actor with a lot of range. So why haven't certain things worked for him? I think the one that worked least yeah. was originally supposed to be a sequel to Gross, Gross Point, Point Blank mm-hmm. called War Incorporated. Yeah. Um, uh, working title, War Expired DBA. <laughs> uh, our whole audience is now leaving. Yeah. We, we did something wrong. Okay. Certain people have to pee. Oh, wow. Certain yeah. people do have to pee. Yeah. But, you know, they find you winsome and charming still. That's good, man. I'm going to After I'm gonna 25 years of marriage, so yeah, praise yeah. the Lord. Yeah. But uh, it, it was horrible. Uh-huh. It was a mess. Yes. And I remember a scene. Mm-hmm. This is all I remember about this movie, other than that I thought it sucked. Yeah. There is a scene in which Lizzie McGuire, yeah. uh, I always want to call her Hannah Montana, but she's Hillary, Hillary Duff. Hillary Duff. Hillary Duff. Who's trying to reboot her career as no longer like a Disney sweetheart? Yeah. But she's trying to do this sort of look at now I'm I'm mm-hmm. you know the Ryan Gosling move where take me seriously and yeah. she went way afield. Yeah. There's a scene in which she's wearing leather pants and like dancing and she's got like some crappy fake Russiany accent. Uh huh. And she takes a live scorpion. Yeah. And puts it like down her pants. Okay. Yeah. Gosh, what a terrible movie. In that moment, I remember what I had in common with the writer of that movie yeah. is that I had no idea what I was supposed to get out of that, how yes. I was supposed to respond, why it was there, or why they didn't just quit while they were ahead, right off the loss, right. and stop trying to make the movie. Yeah. The movie was terrible, and I feel like a schmuck for how excited I got about the movie because it had Cusack in it, it was on Netflix. Um, and I was really, I remember I was really excited to watch it. And I don't know if you and Aaron are like this, but there, there are certain, and these are unspoken things that happen in the kind of pantheon of movies. But when you know you've got a movie coming up that evening that you're excited about, there's a little bit of a build, like the snacks that you make for the movie are better. Mm, yeah. um, you're going to you, make an event of it. it. You make an event of it. And it's not just it's like, like... it's a Super Bowl of movies. It's like the oh, Super yeah. Bowl of movies. And it's not just like a flippant, like, oh, we're tired, we're going to flip on a movie. Right. You know, until we you're, fall asleep. You're not gonna around. you're not gonna cluck it 
and watch a little bit. Yeah, you know, right. You're not going to chunk it into nights, which right. is what I do with like mediocre. Right. Movies. Yeah. So, yeah. so you can you can do that if if you know it's not going to drag you right in and you. Yeah. But but you were expecting this one to lock you to be in. a main event. Yeah. I'm committing two hours to this movie, and it was such a turd. It was so so bad, and I felt very hurt by it <laughs> in the in the same way that Cusack's character in High Fidelity felt hurt by, um, you know, by the glamorous woman that he couldn't have in the sense that like the movie offered something that it wasn't going to deliver for me. And uh, yeah. I, I could have been on the street screaming obscenities at the movie. Yeah, at that let's point. but not let's work it out. Not let's More work like, it out. Pull the plug. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this is over. You Dude, know? W- here's a turd with him in it that I love. Okay, lay it on. Movie called Con Air. I've seen Con Air. Do you like it? I think I do. Yeah. It, that's Nicolas Cage and Nicolas Cage and uh, John Cusack together. That's right. Cusack is the character of, of whom it said, of course he's not there. He's off saving the rainforest or recycling his sandals or something. Yeah, yeah. And, Subtext, and, he's one-dimensional. <laughs> yeah. But it was awesome because yeah. of the, of the ensemble cast, including uh, Malkovich. It's got uh, Ving Rhames. It's <laughs> got Steve Buscemi. Yeah. It's just a spectacular piece and, yeah. and, and, and a piece of garbage. But it's I mean, a piece still, of garbage, it's but it's good garbage. It's a garbage, yeah. So, and, and, it, and it proves that if you put good people in garbage, they can make it watchable garbage. If it's meant to be fun, we yeah. were talking earlier in the car about one of the worst movies out there. Mm-hmm. It, it involves wonderful actors yeah. giving wonderful performances uh-huh. but a crap script yeah which was american beauty Such nothing a could save that turd yeah you could have put you know charlton heston oh yeah uh, old charlton heston james dean opposite young charlton heston yeah, yeah exactly it would have been terrible baby i have a question for i have a question for you and i have a question for the whole room really and then you have a quote to lay on us from gross point blank because we're gonna get back to that um my question for you guys and and ladies you can chip in on this too um, as you think about these two movies, so as you think about Say Anything uh, and Gross Point Blank, what have you learned from the John Cusack character about dating? Um, and Big T, I'm going to start with you because you are the, you are the closest of anyone in this room to um, actively dating anyone and that the, the rest of us are married, so we haven't been I in that world for a while. I dating goodbye. Yeah, exactly. Um, what, what, is, uh, what has Cusack taught you about dating and about being like maybe a good boyfriend? Well, first off, it depends which Cusack movie we're referring to. Let's start with Say Anything Cusack. Okay. Um, probably to be gentle like he is. I just feel like the scene that sticks out and proves that point the most to me is the scene where he's he's kickboxing. And even as he's kickboxing, he's like including his little cousin. And like, it's, yeah, it's it's really funny. And he's, you know, what do we love? Pain. Yes. There's that. just the. Why can't you be his uncle and not his playmate? And not his playmate, dude. Joan Cusack is so good in both movies. That's why. That's why John Cusack. Another reason is so much better than like a Nicolas Cage. He's a better performer, but also he's always got the backup. It's a of package his wonderful deal. Sister. Yeah, yes. he comes with his wonderful sister Joan. KK's favorite line and say anything is. Uh, uh, John Cusack's character is arguing with his sister in the in the little apartment, and he goes, "Why can't you just be in a good mood?" And what does Joan say, baby? Gee, it's easy. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, it's easy. So good, man. So good. 
Baby, what have you learned romantically from uh, from John Cusack in these two movies? Oh man, a if you are walking with your lady and you see some glass on the ground, oh, I love it. Point too. it out. Yeah, don't let her walk through the glass. Point it out. Navigate her around it like That's a gentleman. Not basic, like common courtesy that you do for like a schlubby, you know, old fat guy you don't know. Yeah, it's only something that a chivalrous guy would do for the woman that he loves. A girl that it's he's essentially into, like yeah. throwing himself down on the glass so she can walk over him. Absolutely, dude. Absolutely. Um, also, if your girlfriend turns out to be the daughter of a pretty major felon, yeah. Um, go and kind of uh, poke the bear, if you will, and and kind of challenge uh-huh. that guy. Because what can he do? I he's love in those prison. scenes. Yeah, yeah. Um, end of the day, I feel like the thing that he had going for him is not like basic behaviors that can be learned and mimicked. It was just like a guy who's 110% about whatever he's into, Yeah, which includes, in this point, that girl more than anything, because he doesn't know what he wants to be or do. Yeah, He only knows, there's that scene... What do you want to do with your life? Great scene. And he goes through all these things. You know, I don't want to Buy, manufacture sell, anything, bought or sold. And, yeah. and, and uh, he basically says, well, basically my plan right now is to spend as much time with your daughter as possible. Yeah, wonderful. And then, I mean, that's always been me to begin with. Mm-hmm. Like, like, you obsess over something. Yeah. So I think that's just confirmation for me. Yeah. That even though it seems like maybe in the real world that would be seen as... Uh, dangerous red flag. Yeah, that if you're kind of cute enough about it, yeah. it will be seen if you're cute as and winsome enough about yeah. it, like we were. Yeah, obviously, it's we're worth two for two in this room. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe uh, the I think the the line that encapsulates that best for me from say anything. There's a scene where Cusack's talking to one of his best friends who happens to be a girl. It's the Lily Taylor character. Oh my gosh, I love this scene. Yeah, Jill does lie. Jill lies, and uh, I love. When Lily Taylor's giving him advice, and she says, Lloyd, the world's full of guys. Don't be a guy. Be a man. man. Y'all, dude, it's so that good. character's amazing. She's very good. End of the day, I always wished they would wind up together. I kind of did, too. You know, because I kinda she thought, was so much cooler than Diane Court. So much cooler than Diane Court. And she didn't have a crappy dad who was a felon. You know? Right, right. Yeah. Although she also didn't have you know a sweet uh, jukebox. So, yeah, that's true. Which the IRS repossessed and everything. But How do you acquire one of these? That's what it's a simple said. matter of uh, yeah. nine thousand dollars. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Dude, that'll so good. never be me. That'll, that'll never be, be me. me. The guy that. who played Joe, yeah. went on in the nineties to play like he like kept on trying to rise mm-hmm. above the kind of dirtbag nineties. Uh, yeah. Never made it. Never made. He it. He was in like Mumford. He was in a in, in like Dude, poor guy couldn't quite make it. Yeah, that's right. Baby, you've got a quote to lay on us, and uh, lay it out there, and then we'll respond to it. This is probably my favorite exchange from Gross Point Blank. Ooh. It's it's the the father of yeah. and and see you can tell that I love Gross Point or uh, I love say anything more because yeah. I know Diane Court's name sure sure yeah. whereas I don't even remember the Mini Driver her name, name was Debbie which Debbie. is okay incongruous really with the era and with everything yeah, I think there was a lot of Debbies in the eighties right yeah I guess yeah so so Debbie's dad is sitting there in his chair yeah. reading his newspaper drinking a scotch very unimpressed by the mm-hmm. return of this guy who broke his daughter's heart yeah. and disappeared and he says. I pictured you in a haze as one of those flannel-wearing slackster coffeehouse misanthrope types I've been reading about in Newsweek. Was I correct? <laughs> to which Martin Blank says, No, sir, I went the other direction. Six figures, doing business with lead pipe cruelty, mercenary sensibilities, sports, sex, no real relationships, that kind of thing. <laughs> so what do you do for a living? Contract killer? Ah, good for you. It's a growth industry. It's a growth industry. Oh, brilliant. Dude, I love it. 
Yeah, the guy's so like jaded and arrogant and and sort of detached that he's he's not even hearing like or not, I almost said Lloyd Dobler. He's not even hearing Martin Blank. In that and he's the canary that's about to sing. That's right. Yeah, amazing, amazing. Big T, any uh, any parting thoughts on these movies? So I see you as let me let me talk a bit about how I see your character, and then I want you to give some advice to your classmates. Um, who all listen to this program. Who all listen to the program. So, Big T's classmates, if you're out there, um, thanks for tuning in again. But I see you as a guy who's a little bit ahead of your time in terms of movie watching. So, you've dabbled in lots of different eras, lots of different great actors and filmmakers. Um, if you could sort of sell these movies, these, these two Cusack pictures to your classmates, like why they should watch, what would you say? Probably for Say Anything, because it's just, it's just a great romance movie. Yeah, for sure. And... It's it's pretty clean. Like yeah. I don't think there's a lot in there that's bad and I think it's just it's a good picture of how you like should treat your girlfriend even though it's not like a specifically Christian movie except for like the scene where they leave and go into the like to the there's the scene where they um don't they like go out and the uh the old stick shift car and like Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, minus that, part, minus like, that part. Yeah, just being exactly. very much of a gentleman, and um, I agree. Just so it's being a kind heart. It's a call to gentlemanly behavior, which uh, which I think this this podcast is as well. I mean, we're we're about that. That's a core value uh, for the Gut Check Podcast. And uh, Zach, anything to add on these uh, these Cusack pictures? Uh, I do have a quick update on Jenna Elfman. Oh yeah, uh, later on. Our research assistant uh, who doesn't want me to call her Cupcake. Mm-hmm. But kind of does want me to call her cupcake. It's complicated. It's a tension. There's a tension there. Yeah. Um, it's sad. It's uh-huh. a sad thing. Okay. Seriously, the last thing I remember seeing her in was an amazing 90s movie. Amazing 90s movie. Called? By the name of Can't Hardly Wait. Okay. You know that movie? I'm aware of it, yeah. Have you seen it? Uh, I think a million years ago. Oh my gosh, dude. That one to me is it is to the 90s what Say Anything is to the 80s. Oh, fascinating. It's incredible. Interesting. So... In that movie, she plays a stripper who is dressed as an angel who shows up out of nowhere and yeah. gives advice to Ethan Embry, who's the like the Lloyd Dobler of the yeah. film. Yeah, yeah. And and I remember seeing that and thinking, man, I need to see more of her. She's always so good. She was on her own show, Dharma and Greg for Greg for a while, which good was show. in the late nineties. We were fans of it. And then when you look at her IMDb page, one episode of My Name Is Earl. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. One episode of. Uh, Two and a Half Men. Mm-hmm. Um, she was on Damages, which is this total crap fest, um, Glenn Close, wannabe Breaking Badish like uh-huh. legal thing. Um, and then more recently, she has been on Fear the Walking Dead, which, if you ask me, is where like the idea of good TV has gone to die. Yeah, I agree. So basically, not a lot going on for Ms. Elfman, who was, in my mind... What I don't, real... She was like what people thought. Um, who is that like pumpkin, that, that like jack o' lantern face girl from Charlie's Angels? Oh, yeah, Drew Barrymore. Nah, the. No. the, the... Oh. Cameron Diaz. No. Cameron Diaz. Cameron Diaz. She's kind of to me what people thought Cameron Diaz was, which was like basically a really natural, don't ruin her with acting lessons kind yeah, yeah. of just fun, organic bubbly, performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. With, with who can be fun, but who can also, you know, really turn your heartstrings and, and hold yeah. a scene together. Yes. What happened to her? Why isn't know. she everywhere being amazing? She's apparently a Scientologist that should help your movie career. Right. Not not hinder it, right? Unless you get on the outs with these people. It is possible because I 
because we've asked questions, I think, about other actors who've disappeared, mm -hmm. actresses. And a lot of times lately the story is that they disappeared because they made the wrong person mad because they didn't do what that person wanted them to do. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I'm know? reading between the lines and I, I understand what you're saying. I don't saying. know if that's her story. But yeah. On, on March 27, 2008, Elfman and Charlie Sheen co-hosted the Scientology-affiliated New York Rescue Workers Detoxification Project charity event at Geisha House in Hollywood. In other yeah. words, she's wasting the rest of her life. John Piper is rolling over in his bed because he's alive, but he's yeah. rolling over right now. Yeah. Now, he wouldn't be napping during the day, but you know what yeah. I mean. Yeah, nor would he be thinking about Jenna Elfman in any right. way. Right, no. But... That'd be also wasting his life. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Nor would he be listening to this program. Nor would he be making this program. Yeah, nor so. would he be making this program. However, Zach, I can tell you this with all earnestness. I am really glad that we make this program. I am glad to co-host it with you. I'm glad to one day hand over the keys to this media empire to Big T here. And uh, I've been glad to host this episode during the summer of Gut Check. Um, our next episode, we're going to tackle... Uh, a Ben Affleck film called Good Will Hunting, which we've... Which uh, we consider a Ben Affleck film. Yeah, it is a Ben Affleck first film. First and foremost. Uh, Big T is a huge fan of the film. He's going to be back in the studio for the next step. And we will see you next time. Same.